we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you, if you would please, to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 11. 1 Samuel chapter number 11. We, uh, if you are just joining us, uh, we have been in a study of the life of David. And uh, we come this morning uh, to the 39th sermon, 39 messages that began for us in the book of Acts when we looked at the passage that spoke about David serving his generation according to the will of God. And from there, we went to 1 Samuel 16 and 15 and the anointing of David and, and then David in, in 1 Samuel 16 anointed, 1 Samuel 17 he fought Goliath and delivered the people of Israel from the bondage of the Philistines. And so we come this morning to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We find uh, David has, of course, lived through all of those things that he had endured, the trial of his faith, the persecution that came against him at the hand of Saul, who was envious of him and wanted to kill him. And then the establishment of his throne, uh, we have seen that David was a man who was a brave soldier. And uh, the women of Israel sang in the streets, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. We have watched him as he, while on the run, resisted the temptation to take matters into his own hands and lash out against Saul, even when he had two occasions to end it all because Saul had unknowingly fallen prey and was in David's hand, but David refused to touch the Lord's anointed. So we've been amazed by his integrity and his honor. We have seen that he is a man who loves God and desires to fear God. We see that as a king, he extended grace, his loving kindness, the loving kindness of the Lord to the people of Israel, even to those who resisted him and fought against him. As he established his rule and reign over Israel, he established it with righteousness and justice. And we have observed David's life with awe. The promises that God gave to him, in fact, the promise that he would build a house for David, Not a physical house, but a household that would continue, a family, and a family name, and that he would make David's name great in the earth, and that he would give David a son who would descend from his seed, who would one day rule over Jerusalem and rule over the world in righteousness. Of course, that son, the fulfillment of that promise is in the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing promise that was for David. 
But now as we come to 2 Samuel chapter number 11 and we read through this passage, we wonder, is God going to even bother with this promise? We're amazed at how a man who can write the Psalms and sing the wonderful songs of God, a man who is after God's own heart, a man who has a desire to build a house for the Lord, a man who seeks to honor his name could stoop to such depths. And so we read this passage uh, with sobriety and, and somberness in our hearts. Would you look at it with me? Second Samuel chapter number 11. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned into her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest? And as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry ye here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be, or yes, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall 
Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Tebez? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us in the field, and we were unto them even uh, we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bear him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We note in, in these verses that David saw Bathsheba, he inquired about her, he sent messengers to bring her to him. She came, she went in unto him, he lay with her, meaning he slept with her, he committed adultery with her, and he sent her away. He later found out that she was with child, and so he began to consider the consequences of his sin. So he sent for Uriah, who was the husband of this woman, Bathsheba, and he brought Uriah home, pretending to ask him about the battle, perhaps pretending that was the purpose of it, but really the purpose was to send Uriah home to his wife with the thought that Uriah would go home and that no one would ever know what had happened and everyone would consider and think that the baby that would eventually be born would be Uriah's child. Thus David's sin would be covered. No one would know about it. But Uriah did not cooperate. And Uriah demonstrated integrity and honor that the king had possessed, but in the moment did not possess. And so David, in desperation, somehow determines in his own heart that the only thing he can do is send Uriah with a message to Joab that says, put Uriah in the forefront of the battle, withdraw from him, and make sure he dies. And Joab followed the king's command, and Uriah died. Not only did Uriah die, but a number of soldiers that were caught up in the midst of this scheme also died. And then the news came back to David, and David, seeking to justify himself, said, well, just tell Joab, the sword devoureth one as it does another. In other words, this is just a consequence of battle. Don't let it displease you. Don't let it disturb you. Don't let it grieve you. But the problem is the whole thing is grievous. Well, then Bathsheba finds out 
that her husband Uriah has died and she mourns for him. No doubt deals with a lot of guilt. We don't know that Uriah ever knew. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some commentators think perhaps he heard rumors. It's all conjecture. But as far as we know, he never knew what happened. And she never was able to explain it to him. So she grieved for her husband. And when her mourning was passed, David brought her to his house and he took her to be his wife and she bare him a son. And that was the end of it. It was over. But it wasn't the end. Because in all of his plans and all of his schemes, David forgot one thing. The Lord was watching. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's what our sin does. It displeases our God. And he sees. Now we note three things in this passage that displease the Lord. I, I hope you'll, you'll follow along with me and write them down. First of all, number one, the sin David committed displeased the Lord. The sin that David committed. We know what the sin is. He committed adultery. And Joab and the men of Israel had gone up to battle. It was the time in verse 1 uh, when kings go forth to battle. It was the spring of the year, the beginning of the year on the Jewish calendar. But David did not go up. He tarried still at Jerusalem. And it was upon an evening tide that he arose from off his bed, verse 2, and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. He took a walk. He took a dangerous walk. By the way, if we haven't already noted it, David had already been walking dangerously. As he warred, as he worshiped God and warred against the enemies of God, he had been walking dangerously. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 13 that David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. We know that David began with Michal, the daughter of Saul. Then he married a woman named Abigail, who was the widow of Nabal. Then he married a woman named Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. And the Bible tells us that he continued to marry women. He had more than one wife, which was never God's plan. It was a practice of the kings of that era, but it was not God's plan. By the way, there are a lot of practices in our culture today that are culturally acceptable and seem to be sort of prevalent, but those are not acceptable practices unto our God. The things that are happening in our world are displeasing to the Lord. When you try to determine what you should do and how you should interact, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if you're pleased or they're pleased. It only matters if God is pleased. The Bible says that the thing displeased the Lord. 
Now, David took a dangerous walk that night, and as I mentioned a moment ago, he was already walking dangerously. For the Lord had given a clear command in Deuteronomy 17 concerning the kings of Israel. There were three things in Deuteronomy 17 that the Lord told the kings of Israel that they should abstain from. First of all, in verse 16, the Bible said, he shall not multiply horses to himself. In other words, he's not going to trust in the strength of horses, the ingenuity of man, the power of machinery. Verse 16, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. He doesn't need to add to himself riches. In verse 17, and the third was this, neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Well, the Bible tells us that he did, and his heart was turned away. And then his son Solomon, who reigned in his stead after his death, married many wives, and the Bible tells us very clearly that his wives turned his heart away from God. So the warning is, do not add to yourselves wives. But David had already been doing so. And Alan Redpath writes this. He says, you know the perils of an indulgent life, of unguarded moments, of leisure hours, of slackness and lack of discipline with the flesh. Notice that David was in the middle of his life, for he was over 50 at this time. And though he was over 50, there was no immunity from the attacks of the enemy. There was no lessening of the need for buffeting the body and keeping it in subjection. You see, when David took that stroll on the rooftop that night, he didn't know what he was going to see. But he saw a woman. And the Bible tells us that she was washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. He saw her. He glanced. And then he gazed. He looked and he lingered. He knew he needed to take his eyes off of her, but he couldn't. And then he wouldn't. He saw her. And then he sent for her. Look in verse 3. And David sent and inquired and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? He saw her and he said, I got to know who this is. I got to know who this is. Can you guys go find out? Oh, comes one who says, that is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. End of the story. That's the end of it. But it wasn't. The alarm is going off. David is, is dealing with this temptation, this lust, this desire that is rising up in him. And he says, hmm, well, I'd like to talk to her. So in verse 4, David sent messengers and took her. Why don't you fellas go down there, tell her I'd like to just meet her. Just, I'd like to talk to her. I'd like to learn some more about her. Would you bring her up? And they did. And she came. Well, then the Bible tells us in verse 4, and she came in unto him, 
and he lay with her. He committed adultery. For she was purified from her uncleanness. This is important for us to note because when she gets word to David in verse uh, 5 that she is with child, it is evident by that statement that the child could only have been David's child. There's no way to excuse it. There's no way to, to, to hide it. There's no way to say, well, maybe it could be Uriah's. No, it was David's. The sin David committed, he saw, he sent, he took, he lay. You say, well, I've never committed that sin. Every man in this room has the potential to commit that sin. In fact, Jesus said, if a man looks at a woman and lusts after her in his heart, he has committed adultery with her in his heart already. Well, we're all in trouble, aren't we? It's easy to point a finger at David and say, man, that's a bad deal. But we're all in trouble because we're all sinners. And we live in a culture where we don't have to walk on the rooftop to see what David saw. We just have to pick up our phone. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Sin David committed. Now, James warns us about this in James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You see, temptation comes from within. There will be some stimulus perhaps from without, but it comes from within. This is evident already in David's life because he's taken to himself multiple wives. Why couldn't he be satisfied with one? Was, was, were they just not good enough? No, that was not the problem. The problem did not lie with them. It lied with him of his own lust and enticed. He was enticed. What, he saw something he wasn't intended to see. There is no admonition here or no rebuke or reproof of Bathsheba. Perhaps she was in a place where she thought only where no one could see her. But here's David on the roof, and he has a vantage point. There's, a, there's an opportunity, and he sees her, and he's enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, and it did. Find out who that is. Bring her to me. I just want to talk. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Adultery. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The sin David committed displeased the Lord, and our sin displeases him too. Well, there's a second thing that displeased the Lord, and that is the shame David concealed. The shame David concealed. But the truth of the matter is he didn't conceal it. He tried. Now, having learned that Bathsheba was with child, David had a choice. And so he calls Uriah back from the battle. 
And uh, he begins to ask how Joab is doing in the battle and how the people are doing and how the war is going. Look at verse 8. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. That's not what he should have said. He had an opportunity. Here it was, two things. Number one, he could have confessed his sin, and he should have. But he didn't. He could have said, Uriah, I got to tell you something. I've sinned. And I'm sorry. But he didn't want to deal with the shame of that. So he tried to conceal it. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden, remember? Remember what the Bible says? You've read the story. If you haven't, they sinned against God. Immediately after they sinned against God, what happened? Their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. They didn't know that before. But they knew it after they sinned. And once they knew it, what did they do? They took fig leaves and began to sew them together and try to cover themselves. And when they heard the voice of the Lord coming to them in the cool of the garden, what did they do? They ran and hid from him. You see, there is within all of us who are sinners the desire to conceal our sin. It's uncomfortable to deal with it. It's uncomfortable to talk about it. We do not want to be exposed for in our shame and the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 28, verse 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. What do I do with my sin? I confess it to the Lord. I bring it to him. And when I do, what do I find? 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Our God will cleanse us of our iniquities if we bring them to him. David could have received that. By the way, later he would receive it, even though he goes way beyond what we've read so far. But David sought to conceal it, and thus was the problem. So he brings Uriah home. He says, go back to the house, spend the night with your wife, but the problem is Uriah doesn't do so. In verse 10, David calls him back up, and he says, Camest thou not uh, from thy journey? Why then didst not thou not go down unto thine house? Verse 11, listen to the words of Uriah. The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. Just a few chapters ago, we, we read where David said to Nathan, The ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. I want to build a house. Uriah, perhaps unknowingly, uses the same words. Then he goes on to say, And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. You cannot imagine a more cutting statement for Uriah to make that must have gripped the heart of David. His conscience was grieved hearing this statement. A man who was more honorable than him. Verse 12, and David said to Uriah, tarry ye here today also and tomorrow. I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him. And he made him drunk and it even went out to lie on his bed with servants of his Lord, but went not down to his own house. David brought him back and said, 
Here, drink this. He couldn't refuse the king, and what happens? He ends up drunk. Woe to him that giveth to his neighbor to drink. Woe to him. Now he's doing it. Hoping to break down Uriah's convictions and, 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 and to lower his desires so that the desire for sin, and though it wouldn't have been sin, obviously it was his wife, but the desire to be with her would have increased and, and he would have let down his inhibition and gone home and slept with his wife and covered his sin. But Uriah didn't cooperate. John Woodhouse writes about this in his commentary, and he says this, Through these three days, David had shown himself to be deceived by his own wickedness. Having disregarded the law of God and the love of neighbor, he gave no thought to the seriousness of what he had done. He cared only about avoiding public shame and whatever might have followed from the exposure of his sin. He was frustrated in his attempted cover-up by Uriah's integrity. We are right to perceive the hidden hand of God thwarting his attempts to make evil have no consequences. We do not know what would have happened if David had trusted God and come clean, confessed his wrongdoing, and accepted responsibility for the consequences. But doing what is right is not about being in control of what happens. It's about trusting God. On this occasion, David did not trust God, and he did not do what was right. You see, when we're confronted with our sin, we can either confess it and give it to God, or we can try to conceal it. And when we try to conceal it, we will not prosper. David writing in Psalm 32, speaking of this time when he was seeking to cover his sin, when he had not confessed it. Psalm 32, verse 3, this is what he said. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. In other words, when I tried to hide this, it affected me. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. What a price to pay. Alan Redpath writes, This was a man who had walked and talked with God and had known the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. But as he resisted the pressure of the Spirit and fought against confession of sin, his bones waxed old. All the moisture of heaven turned into drought. Everything was dry and barren in his soul. Thus is the experience of the man who seeks to conceal his sin. He has the opportunity to confess it and to be made clean. Well, a third thing displeased the Lord. Not only the sin that David committed or the shame that David concealed, but finally the sorrow that David caused. Now, I don't have time to read the remainder of this chapter. We've already read it, but what do we know? We know that David began to grow desperate, so he wrote a note 
and he gave it to Uriah and he sealed the note and Uriah carried the note to Joab not knowing the contents of the note which said put Uriah at the forefront of the battle withdraw for him with from him rather and make sure that he dies and Joab honored his request then Joab sends the messenger back to David with the news Uriah is dead along with some of the servants of the king And David, after a time of allowing Bathsheba to mourn, brings her to his house, makes her his wife, and she bears a son, and he rests and says, okay, nobody really knows. It's over. But it wasn't. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The word displeased means it shook him. It disturbed him. It grieved him. God sorrowed over David and what he had done. Now, not only did the Lord sorrow, But think of Joab. Joab grieved and Joab had a sense of guilt. That's why he gave the messenger all these details about explaining to Joab or to David rather what happened in the battle. He wanted David to know I had to do this to carry out your order. So if David questions you, help him to understand at the end of it all that Uriah has died. This is what I had to do. So Joab, who was a man of war and a bloody man, was drawn into the guilt and the grief of David. But then so too were the soldiers who fought alongside Uriah and the others who were killed in battle that day. Their comrade, their friend, had fallen in battle. We can imagine the grief that those men carried. What about the servants who David sent to Bathsheba who knew about the whole thing? You imagine they ever talked to one another? You imagine they had Facebook? You imagine they picked up the phone? Did you hear the servants knew what about the wives and families of those other soldiers killed in the battle just caught up in David's plan collateral damage what about the nation of Israel to find out that their commanding general had made a grievous error that had cost the lives of their brave soldiers. They grieved. What about Uriah's wife who could never explain what happened to her husband, who could never ask for his forgiveness, who though he was a Hittite, not of the nation of Israel, born a pagan, had come into the nation of Israel and had made the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob his God. She could never set the record straight. 
His family was grieved. His wife was grieved. The Lord was grieved. Someone has sinned. That sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. David sinned. And it displeased the Lord. I want you to look with me into Psalm 51. We'll come to a close. We will not look at this entire psalm, but we will look at the close of it. Psalm 51 was the psalm that David wrote, the prayer that he offered unto God when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, which happens in the next chapter of 2 Samuel. David says in Psalm 51 in verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Notice verse 19. Then shalt thou be pleased. Remember what David had done. He had displeased the Lord. But if he were to confess to God in brokenness and in repentance and in contrition his sin then God would be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. By the way, who made that sacrifice for us? Jesus. Jesus bore David's sin, and he bore yours. Not just some of them, but every one of them. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering, he gave his life for us, and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. I got to deal with my sin, David said, and when I do, God will be pleased, and I will worship him again. You see, there's only one way to please the Lord that we've displeased. That is through faith in his son, Jesus, who bore our sin on the cross. The heaviness of all of it, Jesus bore. The guilt of all of it, he bore. The shame of all of our sin, he bore on the cross. And if we will simply confess it to him, he will forgive us. So just, just as we close, just some practical thoughts from this passage. I see some prohibitions, some things we cannot do with this text. We cannot use it for our own self-justification. In other words, we can't say this, well, if David did it, it's okay if we do it. No, it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And if you don't want to live what he lived through, you need to learn from this. 
self-justification, and then self-condemnation. You see, when you read a passage like that, and we all have a past, and we all have thoughts, and we all have issues and problems that nobody really knows about except us and maybe a few other people and maybe not even anyone else. And you start rummaging through the dirty details of, of chapter number 11 and your own life, then what happens? The accuser of the brethren pops up and he says, hey, but you're no better. Remember what you've done. Does he work that way against you like he does against me? Well, let me give you some good news. What God has concealed, covered by his blood, does not need to be uncovered again. The Bible said that God has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, that he has cast it into the sea of his forgetfulness, that he remembers our sins against us no more. Praise be unto God. Some of you have dealt with tragedy and sin and circumstance similar to this. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Receive it and move on. There's another prohibition, that's self-deception. You see, the Bible teaches us that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Like David, we can seek to justify ourselves. Oh, tell, tell Joab, don't be displeased. The sword devoureth one as another. That's what happens when a man gets caught up in his sin and his scheme. When he's concerned about self-preservation. Prohibitions. But there's some protections here that we need to learn about. First of all, circumspection. Being on guard. We might be tempted to think, well, you know, we've done pretty good in life. We've got to a point where that's not a problem for us anymore. Watch out. The lions are lurking. Our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, and he is upon you before you even know it. David was at rest. He had been faithful many years. He just wanted to, to sit this one out. And that's when the devil pounced. So we have to stay on guard. Then observation. That's another protection for us. Observation. We need to learn how to heed the warning signs. Up on the roof. Wow. I, I need to turn around. I need to go back in the house. I need to put this down. I don't need to come here again. But he didn't heed that sign. Go get her. Find out who she is. She's the wife of Uriah. Alarm, signal, don't do it, don't do it. He neglected it. We need to learn how to heed the warning signs. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the voice of the conscience. Don't sear it. These are protections. And then promises. Wow, what's the Lord going to do now? I mean, his whole plan was that through David, he was going to establish his kingdom. But now look at what David has done. What a mess. Surely God is not going to do this for David now. Wrong. He is. He is. You see, God, in the mystery of his providence, 
overcomes the effects of our sin and shame. He never abandons his people. You remember the promise he made? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, even in a moment like this. He never loses control of his purposes. His promises are not dependent upon our faithfulness to him, but they're dependent upon his faithfulness to us. Aren't you glad to know that this morning? The thing that David did, well, it displeased the Lord. The sin he committed, the shame he concealed, and the sorrow he caused. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.